You're listening to the Stephen or Else podcast, episode number 19. Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Welcome to another episode of the Stephen or Else podcast, the only show that's traded in its adamantium claws for a nice slice of cheesecake. I'm your host, Stephen, and this week I'm stepping into my time machine to talk about a mighty Marvel miniseries from all the way back in 1984. But before that, like I always do, like I like, like I like, I'm just, I'm stuck now. I'm, I'm like in a, a record, like I like. But as I like to do each week, that's what I meant to say. That's the phrase I'm going for. As I like to do each week, let's catch up a bit, shall we? Hmm? So in other words, I have some announcements and whatnot that I want to go over before we get into the show. And first up, I have some comics to give away. I talked about a month or so ago that I added a new tier to the Patreon called my pie in the sky tier, and it was $10 a month. And by the time I recorded the first episode in January, which is what I'm doing right now, anyone that was in that pie in the sky tier, I was going to draw a name and they'd win uh, at least four comics. And I have four comics here out of my collection that uh, were chosen randomly. And are they great comics? Uh, you know, you know what? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What I've got here is Daredevil Annual number seven from 1991. It's part one of the Von Strucker Gambit. And it looks like it has a Mike Mignola cover. And it's actually in a bag, but no board. I've got the Punisher War Journal from Marvel Comics, number 23. I've got the Punisher War Journal, number 31. This is a part one of three the something conspiracy. And then I've got from DC Comics, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, number one from 1990. This is a, uh, a thicker book because it was $3.95 at the time. $3.95. Let's see how many pages are in this sucker. Uh, come on, where's the page count? 56. 56 pages. 56! So these are the four comics that are going to go out to one lucky individual. And that person is Kevin Quas. Yay! So, hey, Kevin, uh, email me at stephenorelse at gmail.com and tell me where I can send these to you. And then I'll send them out. And they're yours for doing nothing. I mean, other than being in the pie in the sky tier. But, hey, that's what it's all about, right? You're getting some free stuff from me. Out of my collection, enjoy. I hope you get some enjoyment out of the comic books. And hey, if you want to win a stack of comics, I mean, they're 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 all right. I'm not going to try to hype them up as these great freaking things. And again, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. One man's trash is another man's treasure. All you have to do is join that pie in the sky tier at $10 a month. And we'll draw another name. For January, first episode in February. How does that sound? All right, next up, I don't know if you're aware, but I write a webcomic. Were you aware of that? Some of you might be aware of it. Some of you might not. I don't really talk about it on the show, uh, honestly, because we haven't put a strip out 
in the entire time that I've been podcasting. We're rather slow at it. Uh, I work on the, the webcomic with Harold Jennett, who is an amazing artist. It's called Our Adventure Continues. And Harold's like me. He's married. He's got kids. He doesn't have a lot of time on his hands. And with work, with being married, with kids, there come other responsibilities. And therefore, uh, you know, we can't put out strips all that often. And it's something that we used to just agonize over. It just made us feel like crap. And in the end, we decided, you know what? Let's not worry about it. We're giving them away for free. Anybody can go up and read them at any time. And so we'll just put strips up whenever we feel like putting a strip up. And guess what? We just felt like putting up a strip. We got a new strip put up. So let me tell you a little bit about it. It's called, uh, like I said, Our Adventure Continues. And um, it started out a little differently than what it is now. It stars fictional versions of both Harold and myself. And originally, the idea of the webcomic was about fictional Harold and fictional Stephen creating a webcomic. It was pretty meta. I mean, like stupid meta. And after a while, we kind of got away from that. I mean, the idea was these two guys who were us would create these webcomics and we would actually see some of the webcomics, but they would be with uh, with these two guys, Harold and Stephen, playing the parts of the characters in the webcomics kind of like Monty Python. It was way over the top meta and it was just, we just didn't, after a while, we're like, you know what? Let's just, let's just get beyond this. Let's just do something else with it. Stayed with the characters, stayed with the somewhat storyline and uh, we stopped, the the Harold and Steven stopped doing the, the web comic together and split up, got back, you know, met back together uh, when they went to work for what is ultimately a police force that polices the world for rude behavior. And somehow between then and now, they tried to rob a bank, got arrested and are in prison. And that's where the strip is now with Harold and Stephen in prison. And so that was, uh, we just put up strip number 92. So there are 92 strips up there for you to read. If you haven't, if you haven't seen the web comic at all, it's over at ouradventurecontinues.com. Go check it out read the comics, and hey, maybe in a few more months, we'll put another strip up there. You never know. You never know what we're going to do. It's just crazy like that. I also wanted to mention real quick that uh, just today, I went back and listened to episode number one, and wow, did that suck. I mean, that was what, four months ago? And it was terrible. I I started listening to it because I was I was having an idea of what I could use with the episodes and YouTube and all this junk. And I was looking for 10 to 15 minutes that I could maybe take out of the episode. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I listened to it and I thought, wow, this sucks. And so now I'm starting to contemplate, should I do, should I remake episode number one? You know, should I George Lucas that sucker and just redo an entire episode number one and just get it in there and replace it? Probably not. I probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but I might, but I probably shouldn't, but I might, uh, I don't think I will though, but I might, I do know that for sure. And for certain when I have used up all of the, the, the space, my server space, and I have to start deleting episodes. As soon as I delete episode number one, the very next episode I'm going to put up will be episode number one reboot, the remake episode. I don't know. 
Probably not a good idea. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just thinking out loud at this point. So the last thing I have for you before we really dig into the show is something I think is actually pretty cool. Uh, I have a shirt for sale over at Public. I took the new podcast cover artwork and I made uh, like four different colored versions, you know, uh, like that Andy Warhol, Marilyn Monroe thing, but just not as not as cool. Um, and I put it on a T-shirt and a mug and a, and a, a hoodie and a onesie and a tank top and a sticker. And you should go check it out. It's over at tpublic.com slash user slash Stephen Orr. Go look, man, buy one. I think they're pretty cool. You can get different colored shirts right now. It's a, you, you know, the default is a black shirt. I think it looks really well on a black shirt. You get a long sleeve shirt. You can get a baseball jersey. You can get a, you can get a long sleeved hoodie. You can get a long sleeve, you know, you can get, you can get, there's all kinds of stuff that you can choose from. But uh, I urge you to go look at it. Just go give it a look-see. If you don't want to buy one for yourself, send it to a loved one. And of course, the link to the site will be in the show notes. And uh, eventually, I, I will also put it up over on the website over at stephenorelse.com as well. I'll just have to put a an option in the menu for shop to do some shopping. I have other ideas for t-shirts. So hopefully, my t-shirt store will uh, have other options at some point. But right now, it's just got the one. Go over and check it out. And maybe pick yourself up one. I think right now, for the next couple of days, um, well, right now it's on sale, but of course it's Friday and this episode's not going out till Monday. So scratch that. Sorry, you missed the sale. But they'll probably have another sale. I don't know. All right, so the music this week comes from George Harab. You can find him and his stuff over at georgeharab.com. So that's what we're going to be playing throughout the episode as we talk about this old comic book. So, uh, hey, speaking of which... How is it you can feel no sorrow? Suffers from superlatives The best, the worst, the most I'm thinking gumbling relatives It's not about you, but your glass is high as that every toast when she's around My ship runs aground The wedding dress is very nice The pearl, the stitch, the lace A yeasty mess is put on ice You grab the bottle by the neck You pull it up to your face When she starts to Okay, so Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Uh, it was a six-issue miniseries that Marvel Comics published between November 1984 and April 1985. It was written by Chris Claremont and illustrated by Al Milgram. And when I was a kid, and, you know, by kid, uh, I would have been not quite a teenager by 84, 
But when I, back then I was just, I was just the biggest Wolverine fan. I just loved Wolverine. And you got to understand for people who may, you know, maybe for folks who have just started reading comics in the last decade, even the last 15 years, uh, maybe even the last 20, Wolverine was actually quite different then than he is now. His, he still, uh, he still had a healing factor, but he took longer to heal. He didn't just take an injury. He didn't have like an arm chopped off and three panels later, the arm grew back. You know, I, I distinctly remember reading a, an issue of a Wolverine comic a decade. It might've been a decade or more ago. Um, Humberto Ramos was the artist on it. I remember where he actually got, uh, was in the path of a, uh, atom bomb and he disintegrated but it was like, as long as there is one molecule left and he came back, they, his, he just generate, regenerated from this one little molecule and was back in almost nothing flat. That's not the way Wolverine was back in the day. And the first time I encountered the character was actually in 1982 when he appeared in an episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And I thought he was so cool. Uh, he had an Australian accent in that episode for some reason, but the first time he comes on screen that I remember that my memory, if my memory is serving me correct, it was Iceman and Firestar, who were Spider-Man's amazing friends, were going to an X-Men reunion and uh, Wolverine was there and he was getting a piece of fruit off of the table like a, like an apple and he does it by popping one of his claws and, and, and spearing the fruit. And I was just like, holy crap, he's got freaking claws that pop out of the back of his hand. If that's not the coolest idea for a character, I don't know what is. And that's all, that's all it, that's all it took. That's all it took. And I was freaking hooked. Now, my memory is not what it used to be, but my memory is telling me that the first time I read a comic book that featured Wolverine was Kitty Pride and Wolverine. But again, that came out in 1984. So I'm not sure what I was doing between 82 and 84. But yeah, uh, I had to have been reading something. Now, I will, uh, I will say at that time, again, I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't quite a teenager yet by 84 and I wasn't actually purchasing comics. My older brother was buying all the comics. I think I was getting a subscription to GI Joe and Captain America. Uh, but other than that, my older brother, David was bringing home the comics and he's the one that put Kitty Pride and Wolverine in front of me. He said, Hey, you like Wolverine. You should try this. And I tried it and I loved it. And I don't think I've read it since probably the eighties. I don't believe I read it again. I know I read the crap out of it back then when I was a kid, but I don't, I don't believe I've read it since. So I uh, had a chance to pick it up on sale through Comixology and read through it. And it is just, it's just as good as I remember it being. Now, Al Milgram is the artist. I would have preferred John Byrne because, you know, John Byrne is just my man when it comes to old school comics, but Al Milgram, he's kind of hit and miss in the, in the book, there are some pages and some panels that are just beautiful. And there are some pages and panels that are just not beautiful. And 
it didn't matter. It didn't matter then. And reading it through again now, it still doesn't matter. It was, st- it's just, books were just different back then. And uh, let me, let me try to explain. Okay. So I'm reading this on my phone through my Comixology app. And because it's on a phone, I don't read a page at a time. I read it by panel. So the panel pretty much fits to a certain extent, the window on my phone. Well, if I read a newer comic, you know, a comic that's come out in the last 10 years or so, as I'm reading it, it's literally like panel, panel, panel. That's me flipping through the, through the panels as I'm reading it. So panel one, red, panel two, red, panel three, red, panel four, red, panel five, red. Reading this book though, it's like panel one, reading, reading, panel two, reading, reading, panel three. There is so much more going on in these books and it's not just the text. There is a lot of text. And for some of the older books that can can be exhausting, but there was just so much going on in these six issues. And I'm going to try to explain what happened in the book off the top of my head. I was going to make a bunch of notes, um, but I don't have time for all that. So the first thing I should explain about the book is that it is called Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Kitty Pride gets top billing for a reason. It's really her story that Wolverine is just a part of. It's not Wolverine's story at all. There is no character arc for Wolverine in the story in any way, but there is a major character arc for Kitty Pride in this book. And each of the six issues uh, have a theme to each one of its covers. There's a basically each book to a certain extent is split down the middle and there is kind of something going on on each side. So, for example, the very first issue split down the middle on and it's got Kitty Pride right in the center of the book. And it's she's it's like she's walking across the cover. And so the back half of her is in Deerfield, Illinois. And the front half of her is in Tokyo, Japan. And that's what happens in the book. She goes from Illinois to Japan in this first issue. And we open up in Deerfield, Illinois. This is where she lives. Something has happened um, in the X-Men books. Something with her and Colossus. They used to be boyfriend and girlfriend. But something happened and they are no longer boyfriend and girlfriend. And rather than deal with it, she runs She runs home. And... But you got to keep in mind that Kitty Pride at this point, if you're, if you're, if you've only been reading X-Men books since, well, let's, let's say since the Astonishing X-Men, Kitty Pride is only about 15 years old at this time. I mean, she's barely a teenager at this point. And so she runs home, uh, to, uh, to basically hide from the world. She doesn't want to deal with whatever happened between her and Colossus. And, uh, the book opens up. We're in Deerfield, Illinois. Kitty has just been ice skating and she's going to the bank and she's not just going to any bank. She's going to her bank, her father's bank, family owned. It's been in the family for generations. And when she arrives, she finds out that the bank is closed. Well, Kitty pride, of course she's in the X-Men. So she's a mutant. Her power is to phase. And what that means is she can make herself, um, insubstantial. I mean, you can still see her, but she can, she can walk through solid objects. They call it phasing. She phases through solid objects. 
And she can also use her fa- her phasing power to become, uh, basically to walk on air, to levitate. She calls it air dancing, I think, at one point in the book. So she gets to the bank, it's closed, and she phases in because she wants to see her dad. And uh, she goes, she's standing outside her dad's office and she can hear raised voices in the office. The door's closed. She hears raised voices and so she's eavesdropping. And there's a sound of a slap. And based on the raised voices, she can tell that it was her father. Somebody to hit her father, basically. So she yells out, dad, and starts, and she's like, let me in, let me in. And the door opens and there's just this giant of a man standing there, this big sumo wrestler looking Japanese dude. And uh, he's, it it is a girl. And uh, they're like, well, let her in. So she comes into the office and her dad's there with these four dudes. And the only one that really matters is uh, Lord Ogun. And growing up, I always thought it was Ogun, uh, but it's got a line over the top of the U, and I looked that up, and it says that if you've got a line over a vowel, then you speak the vowel, you speak the name of the vowel, so U, so Ogun. Um, he's, he's an important character. He is the main bad guy. We don't know this quite yet at this point because he is there. Um, he's there. He he's been hired to come talk to uh, Kitty's dad. Kitty finds out at this point that her dad actually has to go to Japan with these guys, and he gives her some money and says, "You know, go home. I'll be back. You know, in a couple of days. Don't worry about me." But she doesn't like it. She's she's not really happy about what's going on. She doesn't trust it. So they leave. And she gets a cab and tries to follow him to the airport. By the time she gets there, they their plane's already taken off. So she finds another plane that's going to Tokyo. And she, again, using her phasing ability, um, stows away on the plane. Well, here's the thing. She didn't give this little plan of hers much thought. She's still in the outfit that she was wearing when she went ice skating, which is kind of an ice skating outfit. And she has no money. And now she finds herself in Tokyo. No money. She doesn't know where she is. Thankfully, she speaks the language fluently uh, because she explains in her head that the last time her and the X-Men were in Japan, Professor X telepathically taught all of the X-Men how to speak Japanese. So she speaks it and she understands it fluently. So she's got that going for her. But she doesn't know what to do because now here's, here it is. She's in Tokyo. She's by herself. She doesn't know where her dad is. But using the phone book, she finds out where this, uh, the dude, the main, not the main, not Lo, not Lord Ogun, but the guy he's working for, uh, Shigematsu, I think his name was, uh, Mr. Shigematsu, finds out where his office is. It's in, he owns this skyscraper. And so she goes there. And it's nighttime at this point, and so uh, she needs a place to stay, and she decides, you know what, I'll just stay at uh, his skyscraper. And so again, she phases into the building, finds a couch, and bunks up for the night. Doesn't last long, however, because the cleaning lady comes in and freaks out and screams. Security guard comes in and opens fire on her. He doesn't even ask any questions. It's like he knows that this person is not supposed to be here. And obviously whatever goes on in this skyscraper is, is not uh, legal because his first thought is to kill the intruder. She escapes, however, 
but she leaves most of her stuff. What little she had with her, like her hat, and she had a blanket I think she took from the plane, and her skates. And so now she's back on the streets of Tokyo. It's now raining. She's cold. She's miserable. She has nowhere to go. She does contemplate at one point calling the X-Men, but um, I think before she even goes into the skyscraper, but decides not to. She decides not to involve them because she wants to do this herself and she's trying to avoid them anyway. But now at this point, she's she's cold. She's alone. She's in the rain. She doesn't know what to do. She has no money. She actually goes to an ATM and using her phasing powers once again, takes money out of the ATM, which sounds an alarm. There are police right nearby. She freaks out, drops the money and runs and ends up sleeping on the street that night. She finds a like an empty corner somewhere and she lays down and she spends the night sleeping on the street. So the next morning she gets up and she realizes she can't do this by herself. So she goes to a pay phone and she calls the, uh, the, the X-Men mansion. She calls Xavier's mansion collect and who should answer, but Wolverine Logan. And of course he knows it's her. If you're young and you don't know what that means to call collect, before the days of cell phones, you uh, had to pay long distance charges if you were called, especially overseas. And you could ask the operator, I would like to call collect. And then they, what that means is they would dial the place you're calling and whoever answered, they would tell that person, Hey, I've got Kitty Pride over here. She's calling collect. Do you accept the charges? Meaning that whoever you're calling collect, they're going to be the ones to pay for that call. So Logan knows who it is. And he says, yes, I'll accept the charges. And then it switches over and he says, hey, Punkin, what's wrong? Or something like that. And she's like, oh my God, it's Logan. And it hangs up. And then she decides she is going to go ahead and just take care of this on her own. She goes back to the skyscraper where uh, Mr. Shigematsu is. And she finds the man's office and her father is in there and she is... Uh, She's eavesdropping again, and Mr. Shigematsu is telling her father that he wants, basically, uh, her dad sold the bank to Mr. Shigematsu, and he has agreed to start using the bank to launder money for this, for this guy, this, this old Japanese crime boss. And this is the first time Kitty is hearing this, and of course, she freaks out and screams, Dad, once again. And so now everybody knows she's there and uh, they go after her. The big sumo wrestling looking bodyguard goes after her. She fights back and then escapes. So Shigematsu tells uh, Ogun that he has to go find her. And that's at the point where we find out that um, he doesn't really work for Shigematsu. He's not one of his cronies. He's not a bodyguard and, Shigematsu can't order him around like that. And so the old man apologizes to him. And Ogun tells him, you know, I will go after the girl. I will get her and I will, you know, I'll go get her. But the price that you have to pay for me to do this is you have to let me have the girl. And the old guy's like, hey, you bet. That's that. I can afford that. Take her, whatever, dude. Just go, you know, make sure that she doesn't turn us in. Just go get her. So... Lord Ogun goes after her and he's wearing now a, like a devil mask 
and we find out that he's a ninja and he, he finds her and he blows this green smoke in her face and it knocks her out and he takes her back to his place and then spends most of six or seven pages basically brainwashing her. He, uh, somehow using these like freaking ninja mystic arts or something, um, places a part of his soul in her so that basically he is her and she has all his knowledge. She's like now a super ninja fighter now. And, uh, but she also has the ability to phase. So here's this 15 year old mutant girl with the ability to pass through walls and floors and ceilings and, and float on the air. And, but now she's also a ninja and an assassin. And um, her will is no longer her own. Logan, De Wolverine, he is now in Tokyo. All it took was that one call, one collect call from Kitty. He didn't even talk to her, but he knows that Kitty is in Tokyo and the fact that she hung up on him tells him that she's in trouble. So he gets on a plane and he flies to Tokyo. Now, I don't remember when I read it, I don't remember how he learned that he would need to go see Mr. Shigematsu, uh, but he does. He seems to know you know, who, who to, who to go talk to. And I don't remember why I honestly don't. And I don't feel like looking it up right now, but he goes to see him first and the guy sets his bodyguards on, on him and Wolverine kills them. And, uh, he asks Mr. Shigematsu where the girl is. And he tells her that, Lo that Lord Ogun has her. And, uh, that was his payment. And so basically Wolverine has him call, Ogun and um, demand to to have the girl back, have Kitty back, and uh, Ogun's like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Um, why don't you have Wolverine meet us at this place tomorrow or something? 
And so that's what Wolverine does. And he's he's basically casing the joint out and he's smoking. He spends most of this book smoking. It's pretty amazing. Even when he's supposed to be uh you know hiding some hiding somewhere waiting for somebody, it's like any if if he's got a moment to light up, he's gonna. He spends practically the entire book. If he's not fighting somebody, he's smoking a cigarette. I think it was cigarettes. It didn't look like cigars. I know eventually you see him a lot in the 80s and 90s smoking cigars, but I'm pretty sure that throughout this book he was smoking. They look like cigarettes. They were too thin to be cigars. But he's standing on top of this building looking out over where he's supposed to meet Ogun to get Kitty back, and he's smoking a cigarette. And this woman comes out of the shadows and attacks him, and uh, they fight for a little bit. And, of course, he wins because he's Wolverine, and they do the whole thing where he says, I'm Wolverine. I'm the best there is at what I do and what I, but what I do isn't very nice and all that. Well, we find out that this woman is her, she's Yukio and she knows it's either Yuko or you think it's Yukio and they know each other. They're, they're lovers in the nighttime. And, uh, he tells her why he's there and what's going on with Kitty Pride and how he's there to meet Ogun. And she says, well, of course you realize it's a trap. And he says, duh. And he springs the trap and, uh, but it's actually Kitty. They're in a ninja mask and they fight and it doesn't take him long to realize who it is because of course he, his mutant powers, not only are his healing ability, he has, uh, he can, he has a strong sense of smell. He can pick up scents. And of course, if you're unaware, his, his, uh, skeleton is laced with adamantium and then he has the adamantium claws and adamantium is unbreakable, which is a pretty neat thing to have. So he fights her and uh, he ends up, of course, winning. And he, uh, but she, as they're fighting, actually, she ends up winning now that I think about it because he lets his guard down and she just shoves a freaking katana right through his body. Um, he goes down. Yukio shows up and throws some blades at her that are laced with some kind of drug and knocks her out. Anyway, they take her back to her headquarters to allow uh, Wolverine time to heal. Because, like I said, he doesn't... I think nowadays, if somebody had stuck a sword through his body, three panels later, he would have been like, whatever, dude, I'm totally healed now. Now I'm going to kill you. But it takes him like a week or two to, to totally heal from this wound. And But while he's doing that, he is training Kitty. He's he's training, training her not only to... Uh, to really learn how to do some of these ninja things, but mainly to get Ogun's uh, soul out of her, to, to, to take, so she can take control back from him. And they seem to accomplish it. Uh, and he's pretty hard on her. He's, he's pretty hard. He's a pretty hard dude. There's a one point, because here's the thing. This was another thing that I really enjoyed about the book is that it tied into uh, they do, they always did a really good job about back then about tying stuff into what was going on at the time in other books. Like, for example, while they're there, um, it's snowing and they mention how it's, it's, it's the middle of summer in Japan. Why is it snowing? And then there's an editor's note, uh, to tell you that that's because of what's going on in the Thor comics at the time. And then uh, Wolverine gets a phone call from Professor X to tell him that his old buddy, um, James McDonald Hudson, who we'll talk about 
in a couple weeks because he's an, a member. He was a member of the Alpha Flight. <clears throat> he is a or was a member of the Alpha Flight, and those are some books I'm going to be talking about in a few weeks. Uh, and spoilers: this is where he learns that uh, Mac has died, and they were old old friends going back a long time, and so that really kind of affects him, and it affects the way he is uh, working with Kitty. And it and at one point they're out. Uh, having a run and it's snowing really hard and she can't go any further and she trips and she falls into the snow and she's like, Oh, Logan, I need help. I need you to help me. And he says, no, she goes, I, I can't make it back to the house by myself. We're, we're miles away. And he goes, well, you're going to have to, cause I'm going back and I'm not helping you. And you either do it yourself or you die out here. And he just leaves her. And it wasn't like, uh, he went, you know, 20 feet off and hid behind a tree to see what she would do. He went back to the house and he was like, she either comes back or she dies. That's, I mean, that's the way he was back then. And he may still be that way now. I don't know. I don't read a lot of Wolverine books now, but, uh, he gets back to the house and Yukio's there and, uh, her and, uh, Kitty's dad is there and they're like, where's, where's Kitty? And he tells him what happened. And of course, they're pretty, they're even both of them, even Yukio, she's pretty heartless. But even she's like, you know what? I'm going to go out and find her. That, that wasn't cool, man. You shouldn't have done that. That wasn't cool. And Wolverine's like, whatever, I'm Wolverine, you know, I'm going to smoke another cigarette. And that's what he does. But before she can even turn around to go back for Kitty Pride, here she comes. She had pulled herself out of the snow and she had walked all the way back by herself. And, uh, in this, she learned some things and she's able to exercise Ogun from her soul, from her body. He no longer has control over her. And, uh, but that, at one point she decides, you know, okay, she's done what she needs to do. She's leaving. And she runs away again and she goes to the airport because wherever Wherever this hideout is that they're at, Yukio's palace or her headquarters or whatever it's called, they're no longer in Tokyo. They're in Japan, but they're somewhere that they had to get by plane. So she goes to the airport and she is going to board a plane to America. And at the last minute, she re- she decides, you know what? Unless I face Ogun myself, I'm never going to know. I'm always going to feel that he still has some kind of control over me. So at the last minute, she jumps on a plane to Tokyo and she goes back to Tokyo. And uh, it's here when she goes back to Tokyo and, and she goes to face Ogun that she comes up with the new her new name, Shadowcat. She apparently had a couple. I think she was called Sprite at one point, but she decides she's the Shadowcat now because she knows some martial arts. She phases in and out of stuff. She's basically she's kind of ninja like. Um. And that actually, you know, I didn't remember that when I started reading this. I, I just, I remember she was called Shadowcat, but I didn't remember that this was the book where that name came from. So anyway, she goes after Ogun and they fight for a while. Um, and in the end, he wins and he's about to kill her. And here comes Logan. And so he and Logan fight for a while. And I got to tell you, man, these fight scenes were freaking amazing. Say what you want about Milgram's art. These were really epic fight scenes. I mean, 
Wolverine and Ogun are fighting on the top of this building, and Wolverine realizes that this guy is better than him. We find out in this story that Ogun is like some kind of immortal ninja, and he's the guy that taught Wolverine all he knows about fighting. He was his sensei. And so they're like old friends, but now Ogun is like some kind of freaking weird mystic ninja criminal guy. And as they start fighting, Wolverine realizes that he can't, he's not going to win. That Ogun's better than him. So he, he runs. He's like, I got to, I got to take this somewhere else. I need more room to maneuver, more room to think. So he runs and they end up out on the street. And at one point they're in this, uh, like a gaming, uh, place and they're, you know, he's like crashing through windows and Ogun gets a hold of a gun and shoots him at one point. It's just really epic stuff. The only, the only downside I can say, I can say for Milgram's art, he does this thing and it's a few times in the book. And uh, an example would be, you've got Wolverine on one side and Ogun on the other, and they're running at each other. Well, the way that Milgram draws that, he draws them both in poses as if they're running, right? Which looks okay. Wolverine with his claws in the air, Ogun holding his sword, and they're running at each other. But then he puts like these, just these massive, massively long and many motion lines just coming off them. And for me, it changes it. It no longer looks like they're running across the page. It looks like they're stuck in that running position. And they're just moving across the page in that position. And it, it always looked really weird to me. Otherwise, everything else was just amazing. It was just really great fight sequences. It was very well choreographed, very well put together. There was really n at no point during the story that I was not confused by the flow. The, the sequential art, top notch. And that's, you know... You can have an artist that's not great as far as, uh, you know, you can, you can tell on some of these pages that he's, he wants to get, he needs to get it done. He's, he's meeting a deadline. So he's not, he's not going 100% on some of these pages, but it doesn't matter because the sequential art is just that good. You know, sequentially, it just, it just, you can, you can, the flow is great. You're no, you don't get lost at all. And so they're fighting. It's this, just this epic freaking battle. And in the end, Wolverine wins. And, but the way he wins is that he, he lets his berserker side take over. That's something that's also always been a part of Wolverine. And it usually only hits when he's like really badly wounded. And he just goes feral and he has this animal berserker side of him. That's nothing more than a killing machine that just thinks of nothing more than just killing his opponent. And that's where he has to go in order to, to stop Ogun. But in the end, he doesn't kill him. He stops himself. And he tells Kitty, he's like, all right, girl, now's your chance. You can end this, you know, end it your way. And she picks up the sword and she runs at Ogun and she's ready to just slice him in half. But then she stops herself. Nope, not going to do it. She says, she says, you're not going to kill him. And uh, Wolverine's like, okay. Basically, he's like, well, then you pass the test. That was the final test. That's how you know that he no longer has a hold over you. Because it was instinct that made you pick up that sword. It was instinct that made you run. It was in instinct that made you swing that sword. But you're the one that stopped yourself. If he was still, if he still had any control over you at, at all, you would have killed him. But you didn't. And I'm proud of you. And of course, as he's given the speech, 
Ogun gets up, grabs the sword. He's about to to attack. Um, he's about to attack Kitty. Wolverine yells at her to phase. He pops his claws, uh, and they both basically attack through Kitty. So here comes his sword through Kitty, and it sticks into Wolverine. And there goes his fist through Wolverine through through Kitty, and his claws strike Ogun. But Wolverine's the one with the killing blow. Ogun dies. And that, you know, other than some wrap up, that's how the, that's how the, the book ends. And again, it was just freaking, oh, man, it was such a good book. I was really, you know, I got it at com- on comics, comicsology. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to, I could, I can't find this anywhere else. It's not available to check out on Hoopla. Otherwise I would have read it a long ago. It's not uh, available to check out at my library. Otherwise I would have read it a long ago. I don't know if I'm even making it. I would have read it a long time ago. I'm just so excited about this book. I can't talk. And if you remember from the last Nerd Quest, when we were in Chops Comics, they had all six issues bundled in a bag, but it was like 32 bucks or something like that. And I can't afford that. Well, they had the trade on Comixology. Normally $14.99. They had a sale going on. I got it for $4.99. I couldn't turn that down. And I'm so glad I did it because like I said, it was freaking awesome. I Sometimes you remember a story that you read when you were a kid, whether it's from a comic or a movie or a TV show or a book, and then you come across it again as an adult and you give it, you know, another watch or another read and you're like, ah, yeah, I guess I could see why I liked it as a kid, but you know, it's, you know, I'm grown up now. It's, I have uh, more adult sensibilities and the, the story doesn't, it doesn't hold up well. It doesn't do anything for me. Well, that's not the case at all with this book. It was still an amazing story. I still loved it. Um, I'm just really glad that I read it. And if if you've not read Kitty Pride or Wolverine, you sh- you should read it because it's a it's a classic story. And again, it's Kitty's story. It's not Wolverine's. Um, when I first started reading it again, I took the cover to the first issue and I put it up on Reddit. It's like this is what I'm reading, y'all. And somebody was like. Kitty Pride and Wolverine, huh? Hmm. Wolverine seems to be absent from the cover. And I'm like, well, Wolverine's barely in that first issue. And the book's not even about Wolverine. And, you know, here's the thing. It was 1984. Uh, you didn't have to put Wolverine on every cover to sell books. It, you just didn't have to do that. And I remember in the 90s, they would do that. They, You know, if, if you had a new book coming out with a new character... The best way to sell it was either to put Spider-Man, Wolverine, The Punisher, or Venom in it, and bam, that first issue would sell. But you didn't really have to do that back then. I mean, Wolverine's name was on it, of course, but he's not in, he's not on the first cover, and he's barely in the first issue because it is Kitty's story. It's about, you know, she starts out, you know, as this uh, heartbroken teenager who doesn't know what to do with her life, who's scared, who's upset, and she just... She goes through a very hard lesson and yet she comes out the other side still, still a teenage girl. You know, she ends up at the end of it. She's eating ice cream at this ice cream parlor in Japan and she's still like a little giggly girl. Uh, but you know that there's still that part inside of her that went through this experience and could probably throw down if necessary. And I'm sure she does at some points later. So yeah, that was Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Uh, great freaking book.
everybody for listening to the Stephen R. Ells podcast. You can email your questions and comments to stephenrls at gmail.com or you can just leave a comment over on the site itself at stephenrls.com. Just go to the episode and leave a comment. You know, tell me what you think. I want to hear your words. As always, if you feel inclined to throw a little support my way, you can do that in two different ways. You can become my patron over at Patreon. And for as little as a dollar a month, you not only get the warm and fuzzy feeling that you're helping me provide for my family, you also get instant access to my other podcast. And that sucker releases twice a week. It's exclusive to patrons only. And you know what? It's 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 a little, it's it's something like this, but it's a little bit looser. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking about comics on this podcast, and I talk about all kinds of other stuff on the other one. Anyway, you can check that out over at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or if you aren't into the commitment of a monthly payment thing, you can throw me a one-time payment for as little as $3 over at ko.fi. I did that wrong. I do that wrong every time. ko-fi.com slash Stephen R. Or coffee.com ko-fi.com slash Stephen R. Or. And hey, man, if you don't want to throw any money at me, that's cool. I get it. I'm in the same boat as you. Money is hard to come by. I'm working two jobs and I'm still living paycheck to paycheck. If you're in the same boat, if you don't have any money, if you don't want to, you know, you want to support me, but you don't want to use money to do that because, you know, come on, money, it sounds, it just makes me sound like a jerk asking for money. And I don't, I don't need money. Oh, I need money. That's a stupid thing to say, but I don't need anything more out of you than just listening to the show. As long as you're downloading my show every week and you're listening to it, that's that's really all I need from you. That's how this relationship works. I create the show, you listen to it. Bam. It's 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 really just that simple. But if you want to throw a little support my way, if you want to do something to help me out, just go out on social media and talk about the show. Go to Reddit, go to Twitter, go to Facebook, go to Instagram, go to Pinterest, go to all those places and then just tell people, hey, you should go listen to this guy's show. I happen to really like it, so I think you would too. If you want to do that for me, then your ace is in my book, all right? And so as this big truck is driving by and making a lot of noise, we're going to just close this freaking... So- this. Sometimes, you know, as I'm doing these things, you know, I have a lot of this stuff written out, Right? And I try not to just read everything directly off the paper. And, you know, I really enjoy doing this show. I really like it. I I enjoy doing it. But sometimes I get so excited and I really get to talking so loud and so fast that I just trip over my own tongue and I forget where I'm at. And that's what happened right there. A big truck was coming by. It threw me off my game. My nose is getting all stuffy. Oh, man. But you know what? That's why you come to listen to my show for the stupid things that I do and the stupid things that I say because my brain and my mouth don't mesh at all times. So let's get back to what's here on the show notes, okay? So we can close this sucker out and you can go on with your day. The theme song for this episode is Worship by Trinity X. You can find it and more songs from the band at atomiczombierecords.bandcamp.com. The rest of the music in this episode comes from George Harab. You can find him online at georgeharab.com. 
That's G-E-O-R-G-E-H-R-A-B, as in boy.com. But of course, you don't have to worry about writing that down. The links will be in the show notes for all your web browsing needs. So until next week, I'm Steven. This has been my podcast. I will see you later in the week. Bye. Good job. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotion promotional offer not available in washington dc